worship this morning. Oh my goodness. I uh, I specifically don't like check to see what songs are being sung or listen to rehearsals or anything like that. So that way I'm just like with you guys, like whatever happens, happens, and I'm just there for it. I, oh my gosh. Uh, I want us to keep that song, um, Reckless Love, in our minds uh, for the next 27 minutes because uh, I'm going to come back to that. Uh, this morning that we're talking about fighting well from boxing gloves because uh, if you're married, then you know sometimes you feel like you need these. Uh, right? You, you've seen Rocky, uh, you know, you've seen a boxing match. They, they get together in the beginning, right? They come up and they square up against each other and they're dead in the eyes. And the ref says, I've gone over the rules and now these two warriors get ready to do battle. Uh, it feels like that sometimes. Uh, not in my marriage, of course. Oh, no. Not last night. Uh, that didn't happen. Uh, no, of course not. Um, no. Uh, but it, it feels like that sometimes. Right, like there's, there's like you're in a battle, uh, and in a in a boxing match they've got rules, right? I don't know all of them, but it's like no eye gouging, no low blows, no hitting while the other's down, right? They've got these rules that both these warriors have agreed to, and for us sometimes it does feel like that in our marriages, like we're getting ready to go to battle with the other person, but that's a problem, because that's not fighting well, like in our relationships if. If you're in a, in a relationship, if you're married, and your goal in the fight is to win, you've already lost. The goal is not to win the argument. The goal is to move towards mutual growth and the betterment of the relationship. That's the goal in our fights. That's the goal in our arguments. Where I'm going to use the word fight a lot, but really it, it's fighting, it's arguing, it's disagreeing. It's all of these things. Um, Early on in your marriages, especially those who've been married more than probably, I'm going to say eight years, I feel like is a good number. Eight years and under, you have a lot of fights, right? I mean, fights. Fights where you say some, 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 some things that you should not say. Some things get thrown. <laughs> Fingers get shown. Uh, things happen, right? You know what I'm talking about. That happens a lot in the beginning of our marriages because we're two people trying to come together to be one. We're two people who have a lot of rough edges now coexisting and becoming one and, and rubbing those rough spots off one another. And if you've ever had a previous relationship, uh, a love relationship or any relationship, you get extra burrs. And the more relationships the ha you have, the more extra burrs you get. And the two of you come together and you start getting close to each other. And eventually, maybe you become that amazing couple that dresses the same. But in the meantime, you start to rub up against each other. Conflict happens. Friction happens. And where friction happens, things get chipped and broken. And so today, what I want us to do is go through how to fight well. And I, wanna, I just want to make a preference, two preferences. One, um, we're specifically talking about marriage. But be sure to understand that almost every single one of these principles, and we're going to go through some of these pretty quickly, and some we're going to get hung up on a little bit, all of them can be applied in some way or another to any other relationship that you have. Your, your parenting, your friendships, uh, your work relationships, whatever it might be, these, these, these principles that we're going to pull out of the Bible can be used to fight well to argue well, to disagree well in every relationship that you have. And the second preface I want to make is the enemy wants to destroy Christian marriages. 
Like, I've been praying about this all week long, and I, I think of the three that we've talked about. We've talked about loving, or just relationships in general, and Brad did a, an amazing job with that. We talked about loving well, and my bride did an amazing job with that. But this idea of fighting well, I think this is probably the biggest thing that we need to take away from this, because the enemy wants to destroy your marriage. Like, we need to settle that within us, that the enemy wants to destroy your marriage. Because if if the devil can destroy your marriage, the effects are far-reaching and wide. More than any other relationship, that bond of marriage, when it is broken, has effects that are far and wide and touch deep. And if you've ever uh, had a relationship that's fallen apart, I just want to put this out real quick. There's no condemnation. Like, if you've been divorced, there's no condemnation. I can't stand here and condemn you because I've been divorced, right? It happens. But what I want us to do is moving forward, how do we fight well? So that we take the ammo away from the enemy. My wife and I had a disagreement last night, right? It happens. But what we talked about this morning was it didn't turn into a fight because, you know, you need the magic triangle for fire, right? You need uh, oxygen, a heat source, and fuel. Well, we were really careful to make sure we didn't bring all three elements into this argument. Because then we stop it from turning into something else. And I'm thankful we succeeded last night, because that would make this morning awkward if we didn't. (laughs) Because there's no shortage of things to argue about or fight about in a marriage. Household responsibilities, alone time, communication styles, handling emotions, sex and intimacy, jealousy, lack of affection, decision-making. Finances, lack of attention, friends and family, a work-life balance. Has anybody, there's a balance? I don't, I've never seen that thing before. Parenting. This is, this, these are things that are, are easy to argue about in a relationship and in a marriage specifically. They're things that the, the longer you get married, the more you might not argue about some of them, but then you add other things to the list because you've had the joy and the benefit of being together for so long. It's this process of us coming together. And if we do it wrong, the implications are huge. If we do it right, the blessings are immense. To fight well leads to life, and to fight poorly leads to pain. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27 says, Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger, and don't give the devil an opportunity. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15 says, Make sure that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up, causing trouble and defiling many. Anger is not really the issue. What we do with that anger is the problem and is the issue and is the question. Now, I know women get angry, right? My wife is, I've pushed some buttons before. My daughter, I've pushed some buttons before. But men, we, we're real quick to get angry. We got a lot of testosterone in our bodies. You know? And when we don't feel like we're understood, we don't feel like we get it, we do some patchwork in the walls. Things happen. The problem is not the anger, though. The problem is what we do with the anger. Left uncontrolled and unresolved, it leads to bitterness, and bitterness leads to division, and that leads to trouble and defilement. When we're angry and we just let that anger sit there and we fester on it, all of a sudden it, it becomes something unhealthy and it becomes bitterness. And this bitterness starts to, the Bible talks about it as a root. It starts to grow and spread. 
But if you've ever looked at a root system on a plant, there's a reason it talks about bitterness that way. Because it doesn't just, it's not just a, a straight stem like the top is, right? It spreads out. It starts to wrap around and touch other things. And all of a sudden, that bitterness infects other things. And because we don't deal with it, we let bitterness grow and resentment build. And we give the devil a foothold. I also want to add that, you know, like I mentioned, I am not a paragon of virtue. Almost all of these are things that I have done. I still continue to do at times because I'm a human being and I'm trying and I'm working and I'm growing. So, again, the thing, we can think of these as some of the rules that the ref goes over and that we agree to before we get into our fight. So the first is humility. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 says, Therefore, as God's chosen, chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. The first thing in going into an argument is understand that you might be wrong. Like, I, I know, it, but it's possible. I know none of you are wrong, right? Like, you know who is wrong, but it's not you. But humility, going into a discussion and an argument or anything with humility starts with the understanding that I could be wrong, that I might be interpreting this situation the wrong way. I tell everybody there are three sides to every story, yours, theirs, and the truth. Now, we all have little bits that we bring to that, but usually the truth is found somewhere in the middle of two different stories. And a big part of of this is listening to hear, to understand, and not respond. And that's one of the hardest things we have to do is that it is so difficult for, for us as human beings to listen, to hear, and not respond. That's why my word for the year is Shema, listen and obey, listen and understand. It is so difficult sometimes because we know. I know what I was feeling. I, I know what I was thinking. I know why I did what I did. I don't need to hear you talk to me about it. That's not humility. <coughs> Sorry. Humility oftentimes can cut down the thing before it even becomes a problem. Because in humility, when somebody comes to us and says, hey, I'm frustrated, instead of becoming defensive, we go, okay, why are, why are you frustrated? Humility. The second is, is really hard, and that's assume positive intent. Now, this is hard in life in general, and it's even harder in an argument. But it's really closely tied to humility because assuming positive intent shows respect and love for the other person. Assuming positive intent tells the other person, I'm pretty sure you don't have malicious intent against me. Proverbs 15.1 says, A gentle answer turns away anger, but a harsh word stirs up wrath. Assuming positive intent goes so far into avoiding what would become a fight sometimes. Because we're all going to make assumptions. I don't care if you don't have legs. You're good at jumping to conclusions. It's the one thing that we are all a natural-born athlete at. We can jump to a conclusion so quick. We're going to jump to conclusions. We're going to assume things, right? You don't, you don't make assumptions because that makes a, you know, of you and you. Not me, <laughs> right? We're going to assume things, so why not choose to assume positive intent? Why not choose to assume that the other person's not being difficult but trying to express their feelings? Why not assume that the other person wasn't doing something to hurt me? That's hard. Like I mentioned, I was joking, but we got into a slight uh, discussion 
last night. And it wasn't anything bad, but it started because I didn't assume positive intent. I made the mistake there. And so things continue. But if we assume positive intent, we tell the other person in humility, I love you and I value you and I respect you and I don't think you want to hurt me. The next one is uh, no tearing the other person down. Again, because when we're fighting and arguing, we don't, we don't tear the other person down because the, the point is not to win the argument. The point is not to win the fight. It's to move towards mutual growth and the betterment of the relationship. And all tearing down, all uh, tearing somebody, somebody down does is demoralize them so that you can be the victor. But we don't want to be the victor. We don't want to win the fight. If my wife comes to me with a complaint about something, even if she's right, and I tear her down in the process, I'm now wrong. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. That is, that is easy to do when things are going well. But when you're in a disagreement with somebody and somebody's telling you how you hurt them or how this action that you did has bothered them or how they don't understand why this or that or the other thing, it's hard to not grow tired of doing good and feel like, why in this moment do I have to do good? You're the one being difficult. Well, because yesterday you were the one being difficult. In six weeks, you might be the one being difficult again. So if we don't get tired of doing good, we'll reap when the time is right. This next one, and this is one of those ones we're going to linger on for just uh, a couple of moments, is don't bring up past fights. We all know this one. I see everybody nodding, like, oh, yeah, I know. I hate it when they do that. Last week, (laughs) right? But if the fight's over and the person's changed, we don't bring it back up. We stay focused on the issue at hand. Now, obviously, if you're arguing about the same thing, talk about it because nothing's actually changed. But if it's over, then it's over. Move on. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32 says, And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. We are called to forgive one another. And this means letting go and not, let, not, not holding it over the other person again anymore. And forgiveness is letting go in a sense. And we've probably heard some of these examples. One of them is like uh, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Or forgiving someone is like unlocking a prison and finding out that you were the one inside. Right? Unforgiveness, and that's all true. Unforgiveness is, has this way of hurting us. Not forgiving somebody has this way of pushing us down. It stunts our growth. It stunts our ability to do the things that we're supposed to do. Being, uh, having an unforgiving heart makes it difficult for you to love the way that you're supposed to love. It makes it hard for, for us to, when we're walking in unforgiveness, to not have or to have humility. It makes it hard to not try to tear the other person down or demoralize them because you're still holding on to resentment and anger and frustration. And so we have to learn to forgive just as God forgave us. And that's hard. That is difficult because we have to let it go. I think it's also hard because we don't fully understand what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is letting it go and not holding it over the other person anymore. And, but we confuse sometimes our ability to forgive with God's ability to forgive because God forgives and forgets, right? And how many people growing up, that's what you were told, forgive and forget, right? I don't think I've ever forgotten 
I think if you gave me 10 minutes and said, can you make me a list of all the people who have insulted you in the past 10 years, I can make you a list. I've forgiven them, though. Doesn't mean I forgot. Some of those scars are still very present. Some of those scars still pop open every once in a while. Some of those scars wake me up in the middle of the night. Some of those, some of those scars of what people have done are, are come back to me in the weirdest of times. I'm not going to get into the details of it, but I, I might as well just share this briefly. I was praying yesterday morning. I'm sitting on the couch, and I'm praying because the cat woke me up again. So whatever, I'm up early. I'm sitting on the couch. I'm drinking my coffee, and I'm like, all right, you know what, Jesus? I just want to spend some time with you. I, I just, I just, I don't, I want, I don't want to ask you for anything. I just want to be with you. So I sit there and I'm drinking my coffee and I, I just get this picture of like, not a picture picture, but a picture, you know what I mean, like of, of God sitting on like this majestic throne in front of a fireplace and it was just warm and cozy and friendly and I just, I could just understand and feel like he is on his throne, it's all good, I'm wrapped in his love and it's okay. And I was all of a sudden transported back to being a 13-year-old boy in front of a fireplace where something happened that had scarred me for my entire life. And I had to sit there and go, Jesus, I forgive. And I've forgiven multiple times, but every time that picture comes back, I'm going to forgive. But it doesn't mean I forget. It doesn't mean it doesn't still hurt sometimes. It doesn't mean it doesn't come back to me in ways and at times that I don't understand and make no sense. But I've forgiven. But it doesn't mean I've forgotten. Because forgiveness is about letting it go and not holding it over the other person anymore. But that doesn't mean reconciliation. I'm never going to allow that person back into my life. I'm never going to allow them to get close enough to hurt me again. Right? Forgiveness is saying, I forgive you. I let it go. I'm not going to hold it over you anymore. It's okay. I'm not going to hold any ill intent with you. But depending on what happened, it might also say, but that means... You can't come near me anymore. I've forgiven you, and I'm going to love you like Jesus loves you, and I'm going to let him be the one to get close to you. Forgiveness does not automatically equal reconciliation. Forgiveness means I'm going to let it go. No name calling. Like, really, should we even have to address this one? I think we do. Man, I'm not sick anymore, but anybody, everybody's been sick recently. I feel like we've all been sick. This congestion just sits there. It's now a part of me. I'm going to name it. I don't know. If Fred ever leaves, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to lose my country music contract. I just, it's all gone. We, we, do, we shouldn't have to say that we, there's no name calling in our Christian marriage arguments because that falls into the low blow category, right? Like, you don't call somebody a name because you want to, unless the name is queen, uh, because, you know, like, because you want to better the relationship. You do it because you want to make them hurt. But we don't do that. Next. That, like I said, some of them real quick. We're just throwing things out. Uh, no backup. This one's, this one's really important, especially for our younger married folks. No backup. Unless you're going to somebody to bring resolution and help in your discussion because you're just not getting anywhere, keep it between the two of you. 
right? The conversation is more than likely just the two of you, and there's no tag team in an argument like this, right? You're not tagging in Macho Man, and he's jumping off the top rope to deliver that final blow to help you win the argument. And here's why. Because they don't know when the conversation's over. Like, that's the biggest reason is because, like, sometimes we wonder, like, why don't my parents not like my spouse? Well, I don't know. Maybe because the only time you talk to your parents about your spouse is talking to them about what a jerk he is or, or how difficult she is. Why do my kids, like, if you're in a blended marriage, why do my kids not like my spouse? I don't know. Maybe because the only thing you ever tell them is what a whatever he is. I don't know. I almost said words we don't say in church. I got a problem with that. We all know that. I'm still being sanctified. Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 and 16. If your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've won a brother. But if he won't listen, take one or two others with you so that the testimony of two or three witnesses, every every fact may be established. There's really, there's nothing wrong inherently with getting help. Like sometimes in our conversations and in our arguments and in our disagreements, whether, again, whether it's a marriage or anything else, but specifically in a marriage, the two of you are just so close and so locked into this thing that you need a third party who you can talk to and who you can bring into the situation, who can be a mediator, who can be like, hey, I hear, I hear what you're saying and you're right. And I hear what you're saying and you're right. How do we come together on this thing? Like that happens sometimes, but that's not usually, again, why we go to a third party. We go to somebody because we want somebody else to tell us that we're right. How many posts on social media are really just about complaining about somebody else? Like, oh, if you only knew what they did. Well, I do know what they did. Thank you very much. You've told everyone. Now, again, sometimes we do. We need a confidant. We need somebody that we can go to for an unbiased opinion or a shoulder to cry on. That happens sometimes, but I want to give us just, and I don't have a slide for these, but just uh, one, two, three, four, five quick, like, little notes to jot down and think about, especially, again, if you're young, especially if you're young uh, in in a relationship and in marriage. Um, And I say especially if you're young, except this first one, this first one generationally. But because these are really helpful, number one, make sure they're of the same sex, right? Make sure they're the same. Oh, I did make the slide. Whew, I'm all done. <laughs> uh, make sure they're of the same sex. Make sure that they're outside the situation and that they don't have a dog in this fight. Make sure that it's not all the time. And number five, make sure that you report back to them the outcome so that they know that the, resolu- the, the thing has come to a resolution. Because I just want to be careful, especially with that first one, make sure they're of the same sex. Because I know in our society today, it's all fine and well, and we've got great guy friends and great girlfriends and whatever else. But if, you, if you're going to somebody in a relationship issue and you're pouring your heart out, you open yourself up to having some issues that could be there. Like, it, just, it happens. And nobody ever expects it. You don't ever expect going into that that you're going to end up having an affair with a person and then you end up having an affair. These things happen. Now, a quick caveat for that is uh, with this opposite sex thing, if, if, unless you're going to like a counselor or a pastor or something like that, that's fine, whatever. But uh, just in general, be careful. Like I say that, again, as a, as a caution for us to be careful with. The next thing is comparison is a thief. And I'm going to just jump ahead after that one because I'm running out of time and i got something I really want to talk about today. Um, this is just the introduction. 
Uh, don't compare somebody to your ex, to, to their mom. Right? Comparison is a thief. And I've mentioned this a few times. Comparison is a thief of joy, but comparison is a thief to a lot of things. Like, especially when we're comparing to an ex. Like, anybody ever have a really bad relationship? Don't show hands. Don't lie to me. Four of us. All right, so for us four who have had bad relationships, the rest of you can just chill out, okay? Because you, you won't get it. It's fine. When you go from a bad relationship to a new relationship, one of the hardest things to remember is they didn't do it. He, di- he didn't hurt you like that. She, she, didn't, she didn't do you like that. That wasn't them. And so, when again, forgiveness. When we don't forgive, we start comparing, and we start saying, oh, you're just like my ex. Or you're doing the same thing that they did. But that's not them. And that's hard, because we got to forgive. And it's hard, like, you ever say, oh, you're just like your mom? I can't tell you how many things, Lance knows what I'm talking about here. I see him laughing. Like, how many times early on in our marriage did I, did I make comparisons I should not have made and had things thrown at my head. My wife is sweet, and she is gentle, but she's got an arm. (laughs) Like, don't compare. There's no place for that. Also, don't be comparing them to who they were. Like, that's hard, too. Like, I'm not who I was 15 years ago. By the grace of God, I'm not who I was. I'm not where I want to be yet, but I'm not who I was. And so if, if she doesn't, because my wife's amazing, honestly, but if she started just reminding me of how I used to be, that's a comparison, too, that I don't deserve because I'm not that guy anymore. I've grown. I've changed. I know this. I have no hair. I did then. I've got pictures to prove it. It was beautiful hair. But that's not what we're talking about. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish up with this. Is, is, is I got so many more that I would want to talk about. But the last thing I want to talk about, and this is why the gloves are important, and this is why reckless love is important, is because we don't just fight well in our relationships. Okay, again, we've had a lot of fun. We were joking, and I'm, but I'm serious about one thing. I'm serious about all of it, but I'm really serious about one thing in particular, and that is the devil wants to destroy your marriage. Like, I cannot express this or push this enough. If the devil can destroy Christian relationships, and I'm talking all the way from marriage down, your marriaging, your parenting, your friendships, your work relationships, all of it. If he can destroy your Christian relationships, the effect of that are far and wide, and he does not play by the rules. He does not care how he has to destroy your marriage. But that's the goal. And if we go into it understanding that there is someone who wants to destroy my marriage, that as much as I love my wife and she loves me, as much as Jesus is for us and we're trying to seek him, there is someone else who is trying to destroy my marriage. And when I understand that, I understand i got to fight him too. Because I don't just fight her well. I fight the enemy with everything I've got. Be, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 and 9, be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. Newsflash, we're all in anyway. Resist him firm in the faith, 
knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers all around the world. And number two, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers of darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. When I remember in our arguments that my wife is not the problem, that my wife is not the enemy, if I'm, if I'm disagreeing with Wade and Wade and I are in an argument and I remember that Wade's not my enemy, my enemy is the one causing division between the two of us trying to take us out. That's who my enemy is. All of a sudden, I understand I'm in a different fight than I thought I was. And I understand that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need these. I'm going to need some protection to take on the one who's trying to destroy my marriage. I'm going to need some protection against the one who's coming at me and trying to remind me of all the things that I know I shouldn't do because he wants to destroy the relationship. So there's some things I do. There's some things we all do. We pray for our partner. We pray for spiritual protection. We pray that they can withstand the attacks of the enemy. We pray that the spiritual armor of God over them. And we pray for blessings over them. That's one of the ways that we fight the enemy. Like, my, my, my gloves here are an illustration, but it's all, it's all done on my knees. And I'm, fight, I'm praying for myself. I'm praying that I'm strong. I'm praying all these things. But I'm, the, the most important thing I can be doing is praying for this woman right here. The most important thing you can do is to pray for your husband. That is the most important thing that we can do. Because then we're telling the enemy, you cannot have them. They're mine. And I will fight you. Like if somebody came up on the street and they were like, give me your wife. It's like, I will punch you in the mouth. <laughs> Go ahead and try me. Why wouldn't I do that with the enemy? Why do I think, why, why, why do we sometimes think that we can just let him have full reign in our homes? By the name of Jesus, the Lord rebuke you. You do not belong in my house. Get out. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 14 through 17, and we'll end with this. Stand, therefore, with the belt of truth around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with the readiness of the gospel of peace. In every situation, in every situation, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So we do that, and we, we think about that, and we go, Okay, I'm, I'm going to put on the helmet. I'm going to I'm going to put on the best uh, the, the 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 belt, the breastplate. I'm going to put on the shoes. I should have worn my pink shoes today. I'm going to put on my peace shoes and I'm going to do all this. I'm going to take up the shield of faith and this is how I'm going to fight the enemy. And this is what I'm going to do. Yes. But you know what else we do? We pray for our spouse that as they go out into the world and that they're attacked on all sides, that they would have the truth around their waist holding them together. We, we pray that they have righteousness, the righteousness of Christ at the breastplate hemming them in, that their feet and their steps are protected by peace, that the shield of faith protects them against the lies of the enemy, that their minds are protected by the gospel and their salvation. And we pray that they have the word of God so that they can receive revelation and know wisdom from God. The most important thing you can be doing is to pray for your spouse. Pray against the attacks of the enemy. The band can come up. We, we pray against the attacks of the enemy. And we, pr we, 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 
We fight for our spouses. It is the most important thing we can do, I promise you. Because again, I've, sh- I've shared, and I've, I've talked about it, and my, my wife talked about it with me last week. Like, when, when, when we go out into the world and you're being attacked, your spouse is being attacked too. Because the enemy wants to destroy your marriage. So, so we get on our knees and we pray for our spouses. I pray for our marriages in this church so often because I believe with 100% certainty that if we can be people who love well in our Christian marriages, then we show the world something it is desperately looking for. Because the world is seeing violence and, and brokenness all around it. And not that we're perfect. We're not going to be perfect. But even in our mistakes, if we can go, this is how the Lord would have me respond. And I bless you. And things change. And the world gets to see who Jesus really is. So we're going to go into response time. And I, w- I want to do something that's a little risky because sometimes these things are risky. But I want to pray for our marriages. <clears throat> so if you're in this room, even if your spouse isn't here with you, and you're going through something, then I want to ask that you come up and that we can pray for you. Don't, there's no shame. There, there's, no, there's no shame in going through something. In admitting that you're going through something and allowing others to come beside you, what you're doing is, again, you're showing the world the truth of the gospel that I am not supposed to do it on my own. But I also want to invite people up that if you're going and your marriage is great and you know that it could be better, come forward. Or if you just want protection, because again, we all need it, then I would ask that you would come forward and let us pray for you, for your marriage to be strong and protected. So I'm going to invite you up. You just come up right here in the front. Thank you. If you want to keep coming forward, we can. We're going to pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for these. I thank you for these marriages. I thank you for these relationships. I thank you for these who have come forward, who want to make a stand. Who want to make a stand and say, my marriage is sacred and I protect it. Lord Jesus, I pray for protection over these marriages. I pray for protection over these relationships. I pray for protection over these people, not as individuals, because you said the two become one flesh. And that is hard, Jesus. It's hard for us to become something new because we've never been that thing before. But Jesus, you can make it so. You can make it so that we can become one. You can make it so that we become an example of what it means for for two to become one, just like you become one with us, Jesus. 
Jesus, I pray for protection over these marriages. I pray for forgiveness for those who need it. I pray for reconciliation where it's needed over these marriages. I pray for deliverance if there are areas of deliverance, Jesus. I pray for... For those who are separated from their spouse for whatever reason, Jesus, I pray for comfort. I speak comfort in the name of Jesus. Comfort and peace, Jesus. You promised that the Holy Spirit would come and he would be the comforter. So I pray for comfort over those who need it in these moments. Jesus, for those who are having a hard time forgiving, I just, I, I feel like there's just this idea of unforgiveness. I just pray, Lord Jesus, that you would speak forgiveness over the person who's holding unforgiveness and allow them to give it, Jesus. I pray for those who have not changed yet, Lord, but they know they need to. Give them the strength to change, to be different, to be new, to be what you've called them to be. Jesus, I pray for these marriages and I pray for the many more that, that you will have come in these doors, that we can be an example to the world, to Amarillo and to our families of what it means to submit to you. Jesus, we bless your name. We give you praise, honor, and All right, uh, we can respond in worship. If you need prayer, the prayer team will be up here as well.